Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Man, what a crazy week. Are you guys kidding me? Man, anybody tired, like burned out from clicking on refresh page on your uh, browser and following track and stuff? Man. So um, I'm grateful that Jesus is king and I'm his, and so praise God. It's good to be together today. We um, are going to be in Acts chapter 13, if you want to turn in your Bibles, and we'll get there here in just a little bit. Acts chapter 13, just picking up in our journey where we've been. And, um, you know, as we've seen in our exploration through the book of Acts so far, um, and as we know in our own experience here in 2020, man, the sort of truth claims that the gospel makes, and when I say truth claims, I mean claims about what is true, uh, that the gospel makes um, are met with just increasing uh, hostility. Again, we've seen it um, in the message of the gospel as it pre- it's preached in the book of Acts through the apostles, and we see it in them having a violent persecution uh, in the book of Acts. So when I say truth claims, again, I mean claims about what is true, and I want to talk just for a second here at the beginning about what the truth claims of the gospel are. Now, most of you are very familiar with what the gospel claims to be true, but I want you to lean in here with me a little bit and listen to these afresh. Try to put, if you're a follower of Jesus, try to take off those lenses for just a moment And listen to these things from an outsider's perspective. And when I say outsider, I mean someone who does not know Jesus, maybe is unfamiliar with these claims from a heart of truth and love, that they've just heard these things. Think about these claims from a worldly perspective and kind of listen to the the mathematics of them afresh um, because they'll play right into what we're talking about today. The gospel says that there's only one creator God and that all other things were made by him and depend on him for their existence, including us. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a foundational claim of the gospel. It says that we were originally made for a pristine relationship with God, that he made us for that. And then we chose to actually become God's enemies. So let's pause and let that sink in for a minute. God, the creator of heaven and earth, made us for a pristine relationship with him, and we chose to be his enemies. The gospel says that God is good, so he allowed us to be his enemies and that he is righteous and must bring judgment upon our sin of rebellion. Now, thankfully, the gospel also says that God the Father, again, in his infinite goodness, sent God the Son to be born as a human being, Jesus of Nazareth, so that all who... um, Well, first, so that he would... Um, allow the judgment that we rightly deserved be placed on God the Son, Jesus. And the gospel says that that forgiveness was purchased at the costly price of Jesus' life, and that that that, uh, forgiveness, that restitution, that reconciliation with God is available to all of us. But again, in God's astounding goodness, He won't force that forgiveness upon us. He will allow us to remain his enemies. 
And the gospel says that if we choose to remain his enemies, he still remains righteous, is a good judge, and because he is, that judgment that we could have been spared remains on us. So those are some of the main truth claims about the gospel. Can you see how that sort of cuts against the grain of our own sinful hearts and in the, the culture that we find ourselves in? And we're going to see today how that continues to play out in history. That's why I've titled our time together for today, The Gospel and Its Enemies. The Gospel and Its Enemies. Notice I said something I said a phrase, I said our own sinful hearts, because I want to acknowledge something right here at the onset, that the, um, this resistance, this opposition to the good news about Jesus, what we call the gospel, is not primarily out there. It's primarily in here. We are the out there. Do you guys realize that? Like, the culture is made up of people. We are the people. So the, the opposition to the good news about Jesus is in our own hearts. We are the enemies of the gospel. In our own souls, we resist God's call to true freedom. Again, let that sink in. Let me say it again. We resist and sometimes refuse true freedom. Can you imagine? Can you, we rebel against it. And I think we resist because we falsely believe that it's our rebellion against God that's actually going to bring freedom to, to us. God's oppressive, I don't need, you know, like um, a God to tell me what to do or whatever. And we think rebelling against God is going to make us free. But in reality, the opposite is the truth. When we reject God and like his rules, so to speak, we don't get freedom. We don't even get anarchy, right? We get the rules of mankind. Uh, usually those, those rules are disguised as living your own way or setting your own path or being your authentic self or some other uh, deceivingly happy-sounding euphemism for rebellion, right? Um, and th- but those of us who have seen kind of where that road leads, we know that uh, making your own rules actually puts you in the worst kind of chains, doesn't it? That's where we end up. So go ahead, if you're not there yet, Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. And again, today we're going to see how this idea of being an enemy of the gospel plays out when there's an encounter between the Apostle Paul and a demonic street magician in a city called Paphos on the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. And I believe this passage will have some really clear things to say to us today. Beginning in verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the first thing I want us to notice, kind of bracket uh, verses 1 through 3 there, I want us to to look at seeing the reach of the gospel. If you're a note taker, seeing the reach of the gospel. Now, um, our text, again, I told you this morning, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be an enemy of the gospel. Do you know that enemies of the gospel will try to convince other people that the gospel isn't true? Did you know that? 
enemies of the gospel will try to um, make people not believe the gospel or trust in Jesus. And we'll see that play out in a really clear way later in our text, but, and I think it's right here at the beginning as well. The reason I want to pause here and look at that is because the reach of the gospel is hindered in some ways because some current right now, 2020, enemies of the gospel would have you believe that the gospel isn't for everyone. For example, there's an increasing voice, mostly on social media, uh, 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 particularly among the black community, that is uh, people of African descent, that Christianity is the white man's religion. That it it was only taught to Africans in Europe and in in the Americas as a way to keep Africans enslaved. This is, this is a growing thing. Um, and it has its root in the idea that Christianity is a Western and thus white thing and not uh, for everyone, especially for black Africans. But wait a minute. I want us to look back at this text for a second, okay? Can we do that? Notice the specific people that are mentioned among these first Christians. These are still first generations, generation Christians. We see Barnabas, whom we already know. But then there's mention of a man named Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger in Latin literally means black or dark. This guy, Simeon, was nicknamed after how dark his skin was. Now, obviously, it's a term of endearment um, by brothers because he is here mentioned among the brethren. So, but obviously, it's saying that Simeon was indeed a black man. Okay, point number one. Let's now look at the next guy who's mentioned, Lucius of Cyrene, a guy named Lucius from a place called Cyrene. You guys know where Cyrene is? Libya. You know where Libya is? Africa. So here we have two Africans, one who is especially dark-skinned, right here at the first place where believers were called Christians to begin with, in Antioch. This is the first place people call Christians at all. So this is not to mention way back in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the what? Ethiopian. You guys know where Ethiopia is, right? Africa, right? Africa. Um, And besides, this whole thing's taking place in the Middle East, by, by the way. So clearly the gospel, the good news about Jesus is not the white man's religion. Nope. Black people from Africa were among the very first Christians. The very first Christian. So if you're a black person, don't let enemies of the gospel tell you something that's not true about the gospel. That it's somehow not for you. It's a ridiculous falsehood. So just so we're clear, let's continue to look at these people. Also listed is Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is, uh, he would have been in Herod's court. This particular Herod is the one mentioned in the gospels. He's Herod Antipas, uh, killer or executor of John the Baptist, for example. So Manan is a lifelong friend of, of this guy, this wicked Herod, Antipas. And you would think then that Manan, having grown up with Antipas, is um, also having a disposition that is hostile to Christians, that is hostile to the gospel. And maybe at some point he did. But right here, he's counted among the believers, is he not? So the good news about Jesus is not only for places that have, and people that have a church background, It's not just for all you people who live in the South. Are you uneducated people, right? It's also for Manan, people on the highest 
in, in the highest realms of political life, Manan, a guy who grew up and is a friend of Herod and in the court of Herod. Uh, so don't let the enemies of the gospel tell you what to think about the gospel in that regard. This gospel is also, uh, it's for people like we've seen of all ethnicities, all skin tones, people from anywhere around the globe. It's not just for those who have a church background. Um, it's not for, only for those who don't have any doubts. It's for those who may be skeptical. Those who may be skeptical. So the truth about Jesus, the good news about Jesus is for all people in all places at all times. Lastly, take a look who's mentioned here at the end of this list. This guy named Saul, who we will see later, is also called Paul. We know him by his Roman name, Paul. Let's remember who the Apostle Paul was. He was one of the biggest enemies of the gospel. Paul wouldn't have necessarily been a door kicker going into Christians' homes, but he sent the door kickers out to go arrest Christians, and he would oversee their execution, just like he stood and approved the execution of Stephen by stoning. The apostle Paul was one of the biggest enemies of the gospel, but now he's at the forefront of advancing the very gospel message that he sought to stamp out. So guess what? The good news about Jesus is also for Jesus's enemies, isn't it? And aren't we glad? Because we were all Jesus's enemies. Do you guys realize that? We were all once hostile to the gospel. So praise God that the gospel is for the enemies of the gospel as well. Well, what does it mean to actually be an enemy of the gospel? I want to keep moving through the text here. What it means to be a gospel is to be is choosing to be on the wrong side of the gospel. Choosing to be on the wrong side of the gospel. I want you to see how this plays out in real time as an enemy of the gospel clashes with the gospel itself, verses 4 through 11. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's Paul and Barnabas, sent out uh, on the direction of the Holy Spirit by the church, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a false a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "'You son of the devil!' You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. We'll stop right there for a second. So here we have a man who has apparently chosen to go by the name Bar-Jesus, and that literally means son of Jesus. He's a fraud. He's looking to capitalize on the name of Jesus, yet he's seeking to compete with Jesus. His real name is Elymas, uh, which means magician, and Luke apparently finds that ironic 
as you might as well. So he points it out to us. Um, Now, there are a lot of parallels between this magician and the magician that we saw back in Acts chapter 8 when the apostles encountered one. And back then I mentioned there are two kinds of magic. There's real magic and there's false magic, right? 99.9% of what you see is false magic. Um, But the Bible is very clear that some magicians are empowered by demons. Um, So while the real stuff is exceedingly rare, it seems like this guy, Elymas, we don't know, but it seems like he might be more than just somebody looking to make a quick buck by deceiving people. He looks to be a little bit more. He's called a false prophet, and we see the way Paul talks to him. Uh, it's, It's pretty pretty blunt and pretty straight on. This guy, Elymas, is a counter-evangelist. And he said he's seeking to lead the proconsul away from the gospel. You may have a, a, a counter-evangelist in your own life. Know somebody who's always going posting stuff on Facebook or whatever about, about, the, about the Bible or Christians or they're hostile or, you know, maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself uh, in that disposition. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But make no mistake, this man Elymas is evil. He's trying to hide that fact by calling himself son of Jesus. He's coming as an angel of light, so to speak, right? But let me tell you something. Anybody that opposes the gospel once and for all delivered to us via the apostles, uh, if anyone opposes Jesus and the message of Jesus that's given to us right there in your Bible, and they seek to uh, convince you, that the scriptures aren't true, that the gospel's not true, rest assured they are leading you astray. Even if they don't realize it, they may believe what they're telling you, but they are leading you astray, even if they think they're right. Think about uh, the Apostle Paul's words in in Galatians 1.8. Listen to these. This is what Paul says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Pretty bold words from the Apostle Paul himself. So if a person is leading you away from the truth as revealed in Scripture, they are deceived and they are seeking to deceive you. In verses uh, 7 through 8, the proconsul, who's the highest-ranking political official uh, in the area, he'd be like a senator, Um, He's been hanging out with this false prophet. He's an intelligent guy. And again, the gospel is not only for stupid people. The gospel is for intelligent people and stupid people and people in between and people that don't know what they are. And the gospel is for everybody. So this intelligent guy, proconsul, senator, calls, summons Paul and Barnabas because he wants to hear the word of God. And this evil man, Elymas, tries to prevent him. Why would he do that? Because he's an enemy of the gospel, right? That's why he would do it. And so Paul, as is consistent with his personality, calls it like it is. Paul's very plain and says, man, you're not son of Jesus. You're actually son of the devil. Paul says, you are not what you claim to be, and I'm going to tell you exactly what you are. You know, we, we uh, read in the gospels where Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies, and when he lies, he's speaking his native language, right? This guy, Elymas, is the son of that guy. Right, he, he is following after Satan's footsteps. So in fact, let, let's read again all of what Paul says to this false prophet. I want it to sink in and look what happened. Verses 10 and 11, let's read it again. Paul says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And it says, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Here's a man seeking to lead people astray. Is now having to be led about by the hand. Elemas is clearly a man who's on the wrong side of the gospel. Now, something that my wife pointed out, um, she always has to hear these uh, messages first, by the way, like a trial run, so she can give me feedback and notes. Uh, it's in, invaluable. I'm, I'm so grateful. But see, she pointed out something really interesting. This is speculation, and we don't know, but it's interesting, at least, that Paul himself had been stricken blind by God, had he not? Why did God strike Paul blind? To call him to repentance. To call him to repentance. Hey, wake him up. Get his attention, right? You got my attention now. I cannot see anything instantaneously, right? So that striking Paul blind by the Lord Jesus was an act of compassion by Jesus, was it not? Maybe. We don't know. But maybe God led Paul to do this as an act of compassion to Elemas. We don't see what happens to him. But this, this judgment upon him, this difficulty, this hardship could have been used by God to make Elemas turn. We don't know. I hope so. But I want you to pause and think about that. Um, maybe have that be something that you consider for yourself. There could be difficulty in your life that you feel like, man, I feel like God is either like bringing this thing. He's beaten. I'm getting beat down by God or God's allowed this thing or I don't think there is a God because this thing's in my life or, or whatever. But pause and think for just a minute. It could be, could be that God is waking you up. God is knocking on your door and sometimes that hurts but it's compassionate. It's to get your attention. It's to, I don't think Elemas would have listened. There's no humility in this guy. He was calling himself son of Jesus. Now he's going about having to have people lead him by the hand. So if you find yourself in a place of difficulty, don't rebel against God because you're rebelling against compassion when you do that. Just be humble. Stop. Listen. God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to repent of? Will you open my eyes to see my own heart? That's the posture that God wants to bring to us when these things of compassion come to us. Uh, but again, you get to choose how you respond to these types of things. God will let you remain his enemy. See, that's because the gospel is very much a line in the sand. Isn't it? Remember I read at the beginning the truth claims of the gospel and how, man, like that's controversial stuff in there. And it's kind of a line in the sand. Uh, it talks about who God is, about who you are, about our default setting as enemies to God and our condition before him. We are in a desperate lost condition. It talks about Jesus providing a loving and great, the loving and gracious way for us to be reconciled with God. And that sounds amazing, doesn't it? If you're on the right side of it. It's amazing. We could be reconciled with God. You guys understand. Anybody have sin that needs to be forgiven besides me? It's amazing, right? But for those who want to call our own shots, who want to be at the center of our own world, those claims of the gospel are not so great sounding, are they? 
They're not so great sounding. And so many people, honestly most, choose to be on the wrong side of the gospel. So for them, and if that's you, I want to gently yet deliberately have you look at again, again at what Paul's words to Elymas were. Essentially, how long are you going to intentionally, uh, intentionally twist and convolute things to somehow find reasons to not believe? That's what he's saying. Here's a straight path to the Lord, Elymas. For the proconsul here, he wants to hear the gospel from Paul and Barnabas. And you are seeking to make that straight path crooked. How long, Paul says, are you going to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Well, how do you know if that's you? How do you know if you're like Elemas? How do you know if that's you? Well, is your disposition toward the word of God more like Elemas or is it more like the proconsul? Sergius Paulus. In other words, like Sergius Paulus, do you find yourself eager, seeking out the word of God from the people of God? Are you trying to find articles and books and podcasts and YouTube videos and things like that to help you believe? Or do you find yourself to be more like Elemis? Are you more inclined to look for things, maybe even subconsciously, consider your own heart, are you, do you find yourself more searching for articles or books or podcasts or YouTube videos or things like that that would help you doubt the Word of God? Is it that there's a, there, there could be, what could be a straight path to the Lord for you, you're making crooked and convoluted? And if so, then hear me. You are a counter-evangelist against yourself. You may not realize it, but you're stopping your own self from being free. You're making it more difficult for yourself to see the truth, let alone to come to Christ through it. And again, it may be subconsciously, uh, it may be intentionally, but you're actively opposing the good news about Jesus in your own life. Just pause and think about that for a minute. Ask God to reveal your own heart to you. What are your motives? And be humble enough to be honest with God and be honest with yourself. Which are you? Are you more like Elymas? Or are you more like the proconsul? I mean, if you'd like to, to talk more about that concept, I would encourage you to get with Pastor James or me uh, after the gathering. We would love to do that. Or you can send us an email uh, through a link on our website. We can talk by email if that's uh, safer for you, or we can meet for coffee, or we can do whatever. We want to talk to you more. Christian here today, or, or watching or listening online, which best describes that person in your life? Are they more like Elemis? Are they more like the proconsul? Maybe consider asking them this kind of question. Um, those who are willing to face the truth, that is yield to reality, they're on the right side of the gospel. But again, you get to choose which side of the gospel you want to be on. Let's uh, finish up by looking at verse 12, and that is yielding to the truth of the gospel. Yielding to the truth of the gospel. Verse 12 says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What's the teaching of the Lord? 
What is it that these apostles are teaching? It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. And he had heard the gospel and it was apparently amazed by the gospel. And he should be. That's the appropriate response. Like, dude, I, I didn't even know God was there. I, didn't, I thought I was a cosmic accident. Now I'm realizing, man, there's a real God who made me. He has a, like, he's purposed a, my life for a relationship with him. I'm realizing that I'm a messed up individual. I've got like sinful thoughts, deeds, motives. I need forgiveness and God offers that freely. I don't need to do anything to pay for it and I can't do anything to pay for it. I just wave the the white flag and say, Lord, take me. Man, that's amazing, right? That's the right response uh, from the proconsul. So, but then it says, it took him seeing what had occurred to follow Jesus. He was amazed by the gospel, but we've seen time and time again throughout the book of Acts that acts of God, these miracles, are used to confirm the message being treat, uh, preached by the apostles. The proconsul had heard the message. He was amazed. Oh, my goodness. How do I know if I can trust it? Well, even though it was an act of judgment by God upon Elymas, it was a miracle. And the proconsul was like, yo, <laughs> what? <laughs> this thing's real. This thing is real. So the um, evidence confirmed the message. Now, we, I just want to say, we as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus today in 2020, must preach the same message share the same message in truth and love that the apostles have shared. It alone is the power of God unto salvation. There is no other way. It's just the gospel. So if we don't share the gospel with our mouths, people can't know. How can they know unless they're told, right? They have to know the gospel. Um, So this miracle by Paul served as evidence. And, And by the way, how many of you have the gifting of the apostle Paul that you can do things like that? Thankfully, none of you, (laughs) right? Thankfully, none of you, and I don't either, right? I think this was a special thing given to the Apostle Paul for that place at that time, but but there was evidence given, real tangible evidence that backed up the words. Now, Christians, I don't think we've been given the same power that the Apostle Paul has, but I do think there's a power that we have been given. There's a piece of evidence that we can give that has power. And I believe we all possess this great power because it's given by the same Spirit of God that gave that power to the Apostle Paul. I believe we can all demonstrate it. I believe we can all show it. And I believe it can move people to believe in the gospel. And that is if we live the gospel. Not just have the gospel come out of our mouths. Even the preaching of the gospel by Barnabas and Paul was not enough to move this man to faith in Jesus. Clearly, God was seeking the proconsul because the proconsul had come to seek God. That's how that works, right? But what God used was the combination of the preaching of the gospel and seeing the power of the gospel. You, follower of Jesus, have the ability by God's grace to have the power of the gospel in full display in your life. You really do. And let me tell you something, when that combination is in place, 
the sharing of the gospel, the living of the gospel, when we are not hypocrites, when we practice what we preach, when people see the gospel lived out in our lives, man, I'm telling you, it is powerful. It is powerful. Maybe if they knew you before you came to Christ, for example, and they see you now changed before their very eyes, they're like, oh my goodness, man. You might even look a little weird. So they may not recognize you, you know, but they'll see the difference. They'll see the power of a changed life. Maybe they've only known you since you've been a Christian, but they see the power of the gospel in the way you live, in the way you work at your job, in the way you train at the gym, in the way you study at school, in the way that you play by different rules when your relationships with other people, you look different. And it is beautiful and sometimes intimidating to people, but you look different and they know it because you are practicing what you preach and your Father in heaven delights in that. And that sounds like a hard thing to do. It's impossible to do perfectly, but I'm telling you the same spirit who gave Paul the power to do what he did with Elymas is the same spirit of God that dwells in you, follower of Jesus. As you yield to him, he will give you the power to live a righteous and holy life that demonstrates the Lord Jesus and it matches the words that come out of your mouth. Amen? That's what, that's what can happen. That combination is a must. Christian author Brennan Manning says this. Some of you may have heard this. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So when the holy gospel is married with lives that are wholly submitted to Jesus, pun intended, then we become wonderful vessels to carry the message of the gospel. And I, I, I pray that God will help us do just that, to become wonderful, beautiful vessels to carry the message of Jesus, to yield to God, man. And as we do, I think... I think Thousands of years of history tells us among God and his people that he will allow us to participate in seeing other people come to follow Jesus. He will allow us to participate in seeing God turn his enemies into his friends, just like he's done with us. Let's pray, and Pastor James is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. It is uh, your kindness to us. It looks different ways at different times, but it is what leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray today if there's something in our heart and mind that you would have us uh, be aware of, that you seek to remove out of us, to make us more like Jesus, to have our lives match our words. pray that you would reveal that to us. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today who does not know you, who, you know, as they think about it, they've been opposing the gospel in their own lives. They didn't know. They didn't know before now. But they've, they've seen a glimpse of it. But I pray that you would encourage them and empower them to press into that. I believe it's, it's you that would have shown that to them. So help them to press into you, Lord. Encourage them to be bold enough and humble enough and honest enough 
um, to seek to seek you because you're seeking them. Um, and I pray that you'd help them to reach out to us. Lord, if there's something that we need to be encouraged by today, maybe just the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, Lord, I pray that you'd let that sink deep in our hearts, that the gospel is true and Jesus is king and we who have placed our trust in him alone for salvation are free indeed. Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? I pray in Christ's name, amen.